This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. going to welcome to the platform in just a moment. Don't stand up yet, Larry. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm going to welcome Larry, but I want to say real quick, and I think I've said this before, but one of the coolest parts about our community is we actually have um, multiple retired ministers or previous ministers in our community, which this is really cool for a number of reasons. One is because as a pastoral staff, they're some of the loudest encouragers because they have walked the journey that we walk. And so on a personal level, they all mean something significant to me. It's also very cool because you have some amazingly gifted and faithful people. And Larry's one of those people. And so I'm going to ask Larry to come up and speak today. He's going to do a phenomenal job. If you heard him before, he does great. Um, but Larry means a lot, not only from this platform, but in, in behind the scenes. He'll bring coffee to us in the office. He speaks words of encouragement. Um, the Tomlinson family is an amazing family. So when Larry gets up here, it's not all show. Like, Larry has an amazing heart. And so I want you guys to welcome him with a huge round of applause and say, go, Larry. Are you guys ready? One, two, three. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Boy, my ego is just, I can't preach now. I'm telling you, that was big time. Uh, Flattery, flattery. Um, I just want to uh, say thank you for being here. It's it's an amazing thing when people gather together just because of the Holy Spirit, and they they choose to do this. You you could be home. You, You could be somewhere else. You could be at the coast. You could be in Lapine with smoky air, right, pilgrims? But you chose to be here. And that is so powerful because you can hug one another, you can pray for one another, you can smile through your mask at each other, and it really is, I believe the Holy Spirit brings us together. And for those of you who are online, thank you for being here too, for choosing to tune in and hear the Word of God. I know it's not to hear me, but to hear the Word of God. That, that's what's important. And so I just uh, am very glad that... Uh, I get this opportunity to speak God's word for, to you. It, it always humbles me. It's a huge responsibility. And for that reason, if no other, pray for your pastors. Pray for those who have this pulpit space. It, uh, it's a huge responsibility to speak God's word out to others. Yeah. And uh, the Bible says, don't let there be many teachers. And that for that very reason, is, um, it's a responsibility. And it's huge. And speaking of that, I want to shout out to... Uh, Pastor Kevin and Rhonda, if you're new to our church, they are on their uh, kind of yearly time away, sabbatical slice vacation slice sabbatical slice get away from Larry, and, and it's, it's all good. And she, it's really more important or meaningful this year because of her recovery and because of how important that is. And I would like to be the first to stand in line to let you know, Rhonda, that as you're recovering and everything, if you need a hair transplant... You'll have to look for it somewhere else, <laughs> not here. But uh, we're, we're just thankful for your courage, and we're praying the best for you. Aren't we? Praying the best for her. Amen. Praise God. Uh, by the way, I am Larry Tomlinson. I'm a retired uh, Assembly of God pastor, 40 years of, uh, of experience, although some might say one year of experience 40 times. But nonetheless, um, I'm not going to stop working for Jesus. I get to... Uh, minister to those who are hospitalized here from the church, and I go down anyway and, and volunteer at the hospital uh, four hours a week. And I want to tell you, this COVID thing is getting serious. If you've ever been inside the hospital, 
Uh, I can tell the difference from one from, from last week to this week, and actually the week before that even. It's just the uh, ICU rooms are full of people who can't breathe, literally. And not heart attacks, not strokes, but, but people with COVID. So pray for, pray for your frontline workers and pray for families that are so devastated by this. Uh, I also, uh, I, I help uh, lead the prayer team. Jan is my huge partner and does a lot of the behind-the-scenes work. So that's some things I do around here. That, that's me. I also get to share from the pulpit, and I'm thankful for this. But let's get to work. We're in the fifth week of this series entitled Seven. We're on our fourth I am, right? We're in our fifth week. But seven is an important number um, in the Bible. It's got to be taken seriously because... Do you know there are 92 movies with the number seven in the title? I mean, movies, right? That's, that's important. And, and some of them are Snow White and the how many dwarfs? Seven, seven right. The Magnificent Seven. The uh, Seven Samurai was a very big movie, a knockoff of Magnificent Seven. Sinbad, Legend of the Seven Seas. And if you're old enough to know this one, Seven Brides for Seven, seven brothers. brothers. There you go. That, an old classic. And so, that, you know, seven's important. Another reason seven is important is that's the approximate amount of days that I think a hot dog is on the rolling roaster thing and it's 7-Eleven that you're going to have with your seven up. Right? Seven, seven, seven. I mean, it's important. Okay. Enough being facetious, right? Enough trying to get you to laugh before I make you cry. Let's get to why seven is important. It's used in the Bible as a number representing completeness, achievement, even perfection. There are, it is used 735 times in the Bible. Uh, and it's foundational to, to God's word for that purpose. It doesn't mean we get into the, the mystery of numerology. It just means if you keep looking at where the number seven is used, this is what, this is what it seems to represent. Now, I've got to add one to that, though. If you count sevenfold and seventh, it's used 860 times. Then beyond that, it's used more times, not in the sense of the number seven is used, but there are seven of this and seven of that and seven of this. For example, there are seven men in the Old Testament who are referred to as men of God. Uh, Jesus did seven miracles on the Sabbath day. The book of Hebrews says that there are seven titles for the Lord Jesus. So you begin to see that seven means, again, uh, maturity, completeness, achievement, perfection. And that, that's why when Jesus says, uh, I am, seven times in the book of John, we got to pay attention to, to maturity, completeness, perfection, achievement. This is a very solid picture of the identity of who he is. For the most part, the I am's of Jesus are metaphors. Thank you, Trenton, for giving me one that's not exactly a metaphor. Okay, giving me that, that one. Uh, but metaphor simply means it's like this. I am a good shepherd, right? I, I am as a shepherd. I'm a, I am a door or a gate. And today, uh, I'm going to be talking about I am the resurrection and life. So far, we've covered I'm the bread of life, I'm the vine, and I'm the good shepherd. Today, resurrection and life. Um, this message is titled, No Stone Unturned. Because if I could put this in a sentence for my message today, nothing can stop God from doing everything it takes to live with you forever. 
Nothing can stop God from doing that. Absolutely nothing. His love is so big. Say big love. Big love. No, say big love. There you go. That's, he has even more than big love. He has that for you, and he will stop at nothing to make sure that you have eternal life, and not just eternal life after you die, but that eternal Zoe life now. He will stop at nothing to give you that. If you weren't able to catch any of the past sermons, go online. They're right there, RLC, uh, and uh, look up sermons and, and click these up, and it'll be good stuff. It's good meat. It's good stuff. Okay, why are the I am statements important? Well, Pastor Trenton told us this in an introduction, and, and, and later we've had it almost every time, but it's your view of Jesus can be wrong, but if you get it right, it will change your life. Now, what's said there, not said there, is change your life for the better, to, to, to really bring you along in life. How many of you ever gone through something and you go, why did I worry? Why was I anxious? But if your view of Jesus had been right at that moment, you might have been less worried and less anxious, right? You might have, I I have reached, I had a birthday last week. It had a seven in it and nothing else. But uh, I just want to tell you, when you get as old as I am, let's just say it, old, I you begin to look back and go, why did I fret? Why did I beat my kids the way I beat my kids? Thank you, Jesus, for grandchildren. You know, I don't have to beat them, just love on them. But, but you just get, begin to understand that as you get your view of Jesus right, then everything else becomes understandable. You can work with it. Yes, there are mysteries in life. Why did someone die? Why, is, why does Pastor Rhonda have, have cancer and someone else doesn't? I, I don't get all that. But you know, in Jesus, I can live with all that. Yeah. I, I can live with all that. So getting that view right is really, really important. Now, I want to say this, too. Mistaking identity can be disastrous. Ask any family who had their child point a plastic gun at a police officer coming up on a call. A mistaken identity can be disastrous. Jen and I had a phone call once. The guy said he was from our credit union. The phone, the phone ID said he was from our credit union. And $500 out of our pocket later, he was not from our credit union. The bank gave it back, so we're good. Thank you, Jesus. But mistaken identity can be something. 28 women died trusting Ted Bundy. You've got to have your view of Jesus right so you don't miss out on Jesus. Now, uh, let, me, let me put, this, put it that way, in this way. You will be sorely disappointed if you consider Jesus as the get-rich-quick Savior. You'll be even more disappointed, perhaps, if you think, oh, Jesus' blood covers my sin. I can just live any way I want to. Read the book of Romans and Galatians and a few other places, and you'll find out that that's, that's the Should we sin? God forbid, right? Or maybe you have the concept that, uh, you know, because I got Jesus, I will never suffer. I'll never go to the hospital. I will never lose a child. I'll never have a child turn her back on Christ. I'll never suffer. And I'm going to tell you now, I have met people with these attitudes all the time. And it's, it's dangerous to live that way. 
mistaken identity. We need to know Jesus for who he is, not, not just for doctrinal reasons, but for the safety of our salvation and for our witness to other people so that they see the true Jesus through us. Okay. Open your Bible or your digital device, whatever. We learn, uh, we're learning to say that more often, aren't we? This is to John chapter 11. This is where the famous story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead is from. And the scriptures that are, contain the I am statement that we're covering today are verses 25 and 26. In verse 25, Jesus said to her, who was Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though he dies, die. And whoever lives, in, lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And boy, we've got to concentrate on the do you believe this, right? So he is talking about, he's talking to Martha. Lazarus is still in the tomb. And he says, I am the resurrection and life. Jesus claims two things here. Like I said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He doesn't say, I do resurrections. I am resurrection. There's a distinction there. It may be subtle, and I'm not going to dwell on it a lot, but I really want you to focus that Jesus doesn't just do resurrections. He is resurrection. That is him. That is identity, who he is. He also says, I am the life. He's more than biological life, which is bios in the Greek, and in the Zoe is the internal uh, spiritual life, the shalom, peace life. The shalom would have a meaning that exactly the way Adam and Eve were before they sinned. That kind of peace and harmony and prosperity. Nothing, nothing needed in any way except God. Today I'm not going to talk about Zoe because that's saved for later. That's saved for later, for another message. I'm going to focus on resurrection. Um, so as we talk about Jesus in terms of his being resurrection... I want you to know that he will physically raise the dead in the end times. All right? You've heard of the rapture? All right? All of us who are still walking the earth get to go up, but before us, the dead will be raised, right? And then there are other resurrections mentioned as well. I also want you to know that even today, the dead have been raised in the form of a miracle by the power of the Holy Spirit. When faith is applied and it's God's plan, people have been raised from the dead. But thirdly, probably more importantly to you today, is that there is a resurrection for you every day of your life. But especially there's a resurrection if you're walking in some form of, uh, say, the walking dead. You're a zombie. Maybe you've been traumatized in some way. Uh, maybe abuse. Maybe, uh, maybe financial disaster. Maybe a relationship that you're in, in any shape, form, parent to child, child to parent, brother to sister, marriage, whatever it is, you're among the walking dead, and you feel like, I am just gritting my, gritting my teeth until I get through life. Maybe you're just a person who suffers from a, maybe a low-grade depression, and, and you're constantly, Pastor Trenton, looking on the negative side of things. He told us that this morning. And I, I totally, I was raised in a family where the glass may not have been half full or half empty, but by golly, we're not going to lose what we got. You know, it, it was just kind of a view that wasn't, wasn't positive at all. It was, I'm going to hold on to what I have. And uh, that, was my, that was my family and, and, and the way they, they looked at life. But I want you to know that today, Jesus is resurrection. You don't have to be a zombie. You don't have to be among the walking dead. 
He can restore you. He will revive you. He can resurrect you. By the way, I want to also mention to you very quickly, it's not in my notes, but resurrection is not reincarnation. Reincarnation, the whole context of that is you haven't been a good enough person to get to heaven yet. So we're going to have you be born again. You have no idea of your past, but now you get to suffer again until you get rid, you get more perfect. And since you're not quite perfect yet, you get to be born again so you can suffer again, so you can figure out how to get through your suffering. That's not resurrection. That's not God's plan. God's plan in resurrection is to bring you to life, to bring you to him. That's, that's the thought. So when someone says, well, they're all the same thing, they all, no, no, they're just not the same thing. Only one faith in this world has God reaching to us and raising us up. All the rest have us trying to work our way and suffering to try to get to him. This, this is the truth. He is the resurrection. So there are 57 verses in this chapter, and I'll get to it pretty quick, that will help us understand Jesus, but we need to see the context. So John 10 helps set the circumstances up, and I'll give you the Cliff, Cliff Notes version, all right? Always, always, always read the scriptures in context. Never take one scripture and just work with it and say, oh, that's the way all doctrine is. The old saying, I got this from a pastor, was 80 in the 1970s. In the 1970s. So, oh, Brother Cowan. Anytime you use the text out of context, it becomes a pretext to do whatever you want to do. You always read in context. Okay, so in, in chapter 10, he says his two statements, I am the door or the gate, and I am the good shepherd. All right? And uh, he does that. There's controversy about it, and some time goes by. And in verse 22, we find Jesus visiting Jerusalem in the winter months just prior to his crucifixion in the spring. So it's only four or five months he's going he's to go through that powerful thing that we call salvation. Uh, the Jews who are opposed to Jesus speak to him and say to him, uh, all right, we're fed up. Are you the Messiah or not? Come on. Don't, no more, no more uh, you know, metaphors, nothing. Are you the Messiah or not? Well, he answers them with a metaphor, of course, because he has authority to do that. But then he finishes by saying, the Father and I are one. And they go berserk. They pick up stones. They try to grab him. They're going to stone him on the spot. They're going to arrest him on the spot. They're going to tear him limb from limb. Because, and he says, well, what are the, which one of the miracles that I did are you stoning me for? And he says, not for that, because you said you're equal to God. He is. But nonetheless, they were upset by this. They, they felt the blasphemy taking place. But he escapes them. And he goes across the River Jordan up into a little area called Perea. And he's ministering there where John the Baptist had, had ministered during his lifetime. And, and so he's, he's hiding out there. And the main point of this context given is for you to realize that he is reaching the end of his ministry. And he has caused people to come to an absolute divide concerning him. He started three years prior, up in Galilee. Hardly anybody heard of him. And then miracle after miracle, disciple after disciple. Sorry. And it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And he has gotten to the point of critical mass. Something is going to happen here. Now, he's not worried about it. But what he knows is that the people around him really need something solid to attach to. Because in just a couple of months... What's going to happen? He's going to be taken away. And he's been trying to tell him and trying to tell him and trying to tell him 
you got to hold on. you got to hold on. And he, so what he's, his plan is, in this, in this context, is he's going to do something that is so big and so powerful that even in the darkest days between the crucifixion and the resurrection, even in those darkest days, he has given them to hold on to something that is so wonderful that they cannot lose their loyalty. I mean, they choose not to lose their loyalty towards him. This is going to be a mind blower, right? It's going to be a mind blower. And that, that's the point of this context. It's realized things are coming to a critical mass, but when things are coming to a critical mass in your life, that means God has got a great plan. Uh, he is going to work on your behalf. Now, for chapter 11. I'm going to condense again just because of time, just because of what we're looking at here. I think we'll be fine. In the first part of, uh, from uh, verse 1 and on, we find out that... Um, uh, Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha, remember those names, Mary always at the feet of Jesus, Martha always the busy one, always do, doing things right, and Lazarus we haven't heard much about, but we find out that they're in a close, loving relationship with Jesus. Every time he came through close to Jerusalem, guess what? He stayed at their house, that sort of thing. They loved him, he'd drawn him out of sin, and they, they were just, they had a great relationship with him. But Lazarus became sick, very sick. And he lived in Bethany, just a couple miles out of Jerusalem. Well, Jesus was almost stoned in Jerusalem. And so they, but they send word anyway, in faith. They send word up to Jesus in Perea saying, what? Hey, this guy you love, he's very sick, and we know you can take care of it. Would you mind coming down here? Please come, please come and be, and, and raise him up. Well, Jesus gets the message. And what does he do? He waits two days to leave. He says in verse 4, this sickness will not end in death. Notice, for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. And when he finally tells the disciples that he's uh, headed back to the area of Jerusalem, they protest of the danger there. Thomas says, well, let's go with him. We're all going to die anyway. And so he tells them in Larry's revised version, look, I have a job to do given to me by God. As long as I'm supposed to be doing that job, God will protect me and take care of me. I won't back down. I'm going. You're coming with me. Let's go. It's called leadership. He also tells the disciples in verse 14, Lazarus is dead. He told them simply. First he said he was sleeping. He said, no, no, he's dead, dead. Deader than a doornail, as we used to say. Um, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. He's doing all this for their good, not for his own good, not for his own display, but for their good, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. My first point, resurrection timing belongs to God for your good. Jesus waited for the, to go and raise up Lazarus. He had a timing thing. He knew there'd be more people there. He know, knew more people would, would believe in him. So he waited for, uh, to, to go to them. He never fails, though. And thus his timing is always for the, for the best. How, what songs do we sing? His love never Fails. His love, you're not going to let me down, right? Well, that's what's happening. Now, you might be thinking in your sense of timing, hey, I need this resurrection power, and I need it yesterday. But God has, is in control, and he knows when it's best for this resurrection power to be released into your life. He knows how that will work. Now, why doesn't he fix things on our timetable? Well, if he did, we would begin to think we were in charge, wouldn't we? 
Uh, we wouldn't wait on him in faith. We wouldn't seek his face. We would just uh, probably ex- start expecting God to do as he's told. Come on, God, get with it. My foot hurts. I need a healing. God, I've got type 2 diabetes. I, I-, I want to get rid of it. God, I'm short money at the end of the month. I'm short money at the beginning of the month. I need a resurrection. I need it now. Come on, God. That would be our problem. Second problem, at first sounds good, but it isn't. There'd be a ton of people getting saved. This church would be full. And not one of them would love Jesus as Savior. They'd want the bread of life, right? They'd want to feed themselves. Hey, that Jesus gives me what I want. And nothing would change in their life. They wouldn't be more like God. Again, mistaken identity bears bad fruit. But his timing is perfect for you and for others and for his will to be done. By waiting to raise Lazarus, more people saw the miracle. More people came to faith. His opposition intensified, which led to the will of God in the cross. Resurrection for you will be in God's perfect time and his glory. But let me address something very quickly. What do you do while you're waiting for the resurrection? You wait. You wait in faith. You read your word and let it do a work in your life. You trust him. You obey him. You just hang in there. And you know that God's got a plan because there's hope, because there's a resurrection going to take place. You let faith be your substance in those times. Let's read on. Verse 17, on his arrival, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in a tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to uh, comfort them in the loss of their brother. Notice what happened. Many Jews had come out. Lazarus had a great reputation, apparently. It's very popular. Uh, uh, Mary and Martha were, were, were cared about in the community. So now more and more people are coming where Jesus can work. Lord, um, so Martha went out to, 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 uh, to meet him. Mary stayed home. Lord, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, If you had been there, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and life. He who believes in me will live even though he die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Point two, resurrection is more than a doctrine. He is a living person. Does doctrine matter? It absolutely does. It's critical. Anybody that's been in Bible school, anybody that's ever been, uh, been around someone who's got false doctrine and finds out how deadly it can be, you understand that I'm not preaching against studying doctrine. Of course, it's vital to believe correctly, lest we be deceived. But without relationship, without relationship with God, the Bible also clearly says knowledge puffs up while love builds up. It says in uh, 1 Corinthians 13. If I have lots of knowledge and I know everything but do not have love, I gain nothing. Too many people have allowed their faith to become a love affair with the things they know about God instead of a love affair with Jesus himself. This is what I know, and I'll argue doctrine all day long with the person at the door, but do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Please Use great detail when you tell me about 
prophetic events being fulfilled or how the heavens are organized or how creation took place or how to operate the weapons of spiritual warfare. Be really knowledgeable. Be right down to, you can quote scripture, you can do it all, you can think of all those things. But unless you believe and trust in Jesus, these are simply the exterior stuff about him. We should never mistake the possessions of a loved one or their abilities for what we are to love. We should love them for very existence. Now, my sample of this is very good. Husband comes home. Wife meets him. Says, honey, I just need to know you love me. He says, oh, dear. I love your shoe collection. You got purple ones, red ones, black ones, orange ones, flat ones, high ones. You got tennis shoes. I love your shoe collection. Oh, and the way you fix dinners. I love the... Oh, that, that, that roast we had the other night, it was awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And your clothes, you dress nice. You produce great children, too. I, I just, how many of you think he is going to be a happy camper? How many of you think she heard, I love you? And that's what I'm talking about. When, when Martha said, well, I believe he's going to be raised in the last day, she had good doctrine. But the one standing next to her was the resurrection was the ones who, by whose power we will all be raised in the last day. So I want you to know today that, that Jesus is the resurrection. Fall in love with him. Look to him. Let his heart of resurrection be the driving force of your life. And that's when worry and anxiety and doubt begin to be pushed aside because you're going to be resurrected. That's his plan for you. He is the resurrection. Let's all believe together in a resurrection. Let's, I, I forget that doctrine too often. And you know why? Uh, it says in Hebrews and also in 1 Corinthians, it's a very basic doctrine. It's milk of the word, resurrection is. But living it is meat. Can I put it that way? If I take in the milk and I've made it a part of my, my DNA, then it, is my, it affects my daily, my daily life. I'm just not supposed to be taking in milk every day all the time. I'm supposed to move on to discernment from there. Discernment between good and evil. If you understand every moment of the end times and you're looking forward to the rapture, that's great. Do you wish to discern the signs of the times so you can look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the rapture of the living? These should be done. But even better is to love and to marry the one who is resurrection. Verse 28. So after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. I'm going to drop to verse 33 here. When Mary saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? Point three, resurrection is sourced in God's love and is resolved to undo sin's effects. Jesus is empathetic. He, he knows your feelings. He knows them perfectly. Jesus is full of love. He weeps real tears over any grief that you have. He really does care. He is not an uncaring God. He is a loving God that totally understands and totally gets it. When you experience emotion, God knows and he gets it. Now, he may not condone, because when Larry is really angry, God's not going up there, oh, I get you, Larry. But he understands anger, and he understands where I'm coming from. He made me. 
And so he needs to deal with me, but he does it in love. He cares about me. And when I'm excited and, and praying and jubilant, he enjoys that. He gets it. He understands it. So he, he, he is so full of love. Just remember this. His love is bigger and greater than our love. Big love. Say it with me. Big love. Big love. Big love. Okay. Now, there's uh, the Greek in the Bible talks about four kinds of love. And, and I don't even want to bother naming them, but there is basically family love. And then there is friendship, uh, societal love. Then there is sexual, romantic love. And finally, there is the one we'll name agape love, which is loving you for your own good, being willing to do what it takes to love you. And that's the love that God has for us. It is a perfect love, a pure love. And, and, when, and resurrection is sourced in that love. Look at it this way. God loves me so much that he's given me this amount of years on earth. But he's not done there. His love is so big. He says, that's not enough, Larry. I'm going to resurrect you because I want to have more time with you. Satan thinks he won because he thinks he can eliminate you. He can hurt people's hearts when you go away. But he hasn't won because everybody who has faith in me, they get to come back. They get to come back. They get to be. They, his love wants to be with you forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. That's what his love is about. And not only that, what, when, we, when we say you need a resurrection today for something in your life, that's his love that wants to give you that. It's not his show off. It's not his, just his power. All of God's power is revealed in love. It's sourced in love. Every bit of it. Now then, also, the scripture says Jesus was deeply moved. And we mistake the English translation there, don't we? Oh, Jesus, he, his heart is so soft and so wonderful. He was deeply moved. He's tender. It doesn't mean that at all. Do you know what the Greek means? The Greek word for deeply moved means? You know what, the, what, it's, what its metaphoric meaning is? Snorts like a horse. Snorts like a horse. A horse snort. <laughs> Don't say that fast. What in the world does it mean? Everywhere it's used in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, everywhere that that word is used, it means intense anger. It means strong emotion. It means speaking sternly, even to threaten. Jesus was, what? We're talking about Jesus here. I think we should know that Jesus' thoughts were righteous anger regarding what sin does to people, the people he loves so much. The warning in the garden, don't, 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 whatever you do, I'm giving you one thing to do, don't. Because he saw the suffering, he saw the cruelty, he saw the advantage that gave the devil, he saw all that stuff, and he's standing at this tomb, and he knows he's going to raise the dead, but he's standing there, and he's thinking inside of myself, this should not have been. But I, my father has a plan, and we're going to deal with it. We're going to deal with it. And I'm telling you right now, Satan, I'm threatening you. I'm going to deal with death and sin. I've had it, and I'm going to do something. In a couple of months, there's going to be so much power released in that cross, and from that tomb, you're going to find out who the real winner is. 
he is just so disturbed within, out of love. He's not angry with us. You see, in these two pictures, the pictures of his love and his determined, I am going to change this, I am going to change this, we see anger at sin, hatred for sin, and love for the sinner. You might be a sinner. You are a sinner. The Bible's very clear. We're all sinners, right? I'm the biggest of all. We're all sinners. But God does not hate you. He loves you. And out of his love, he is going to draw you back to himself. I've got to move on here. I'm getting behind. Oh, verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. But take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Point four. Resurrection takes place after something dies. Jesus was glorified after he died. Lazarus was raised after he was dead. You and I are going, my body will be raised in the last day after I die. You and I can't defeat our past bad experiences unless we die to it. Let me put it like this. I can't put my financial house in order until my greed and lust for things die. Okay? I can't have a great marriage until I crucify my selfishness. I can't lose weight until my unhealthy habits are in the tomb. And I used to be 50 pounds heavier than I am now. And man, I hate killing those unhealthy. But they got to die. They got to die. I can't move past trauma until I kill its power to keep me in a living grave. I've got to decide to do what I need to do. Once you tell God that you give up, that's when he will lift you up. Once selfish you dies, then spiritual you will live. Once you let go of what you want, his power resurrects true life for you, for you and in you. Something has to die. We all want resurrection in life. But the path to resurrection in life is found with the crucifixion of our own flesh. Both for the future resurrection and for any resurrection today. Moving on. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people who are standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Then he said this. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And we all heard the story. We know why he said Lazarus, right? Because if he had just said, come out, then all the tombs, would have, everybody would have emptied. Because that's how much power he has. But he said, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Very standard way of burying people in those days. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. And isn't that God, Jesus' point right there, this critical hour. How many people can I bring? Because I believe that those 5,000 were saved, 3,000, 5,000 were saved in the book of Acts were many of these people who had decided to doubt based on the crucifixion. But now this stuck in their head. And now they were coming back. They're from Jerusalem. Now they're coming. They're going, oh, wow, this is this. Remember Lazarus? Now, he's, now he himself is raised from the dead. And I think that was the whole context of this. The whole point of it. From an eternal perspective, God uses resurrection to bring you and I 
to him permanently. That is to say, that is to say, Satan would have us believe that death is an end. But resurrection is God's way of declaring, get that puny stuff out of here, devil. Just get it out of here. These people are mine, and I will have them with me forever because my son both paid the price and was raised in power. His plan is to live with us eternally. Death is not final. It can't be because the one who is in charge is resurrection and is life. If God is supreme, then life must reign. The Greek word for resurrection is anastasis. It means to rise up again or to stand up again. It's as simple as if you stand up out of your chairs. That's all it means. Rise up. But it has the kind of a connotation of again in it. Rise up. But according to Larry's revised version, it means God wins and we do too forever. Okay, Trenton, I'm ready for my, my little illustration over here, please. I, I'm such, a, such a, a child myself. I have to, I have, I, yes, I, there's a seven and a something else in my in my birthday, yes. And, but it's, so I get my second, third, and fourth childhood. So I brought something I want to illustrate resurrection with you. Where is it? Uh-oh, where, there it is. Some of you had this when you were children, something like it. My brothers and I did, and it was Bozo the Clown. You recognize that? You recognize that? So, who shall this be? This shall be Larry. I shall be the devil. Jan says, amen. <laughs> Finally, the truth will out. I just want you to remember this sermon, not because of anything I said, because I, I want you to know Jesus is resurrection. Jesus is the resurrection. You don't just believe in resurrection. He doesn't just do resurrection. He is the resurrection. And if this is... Our lives as a believer, filled with God, got Jesus in us. There's going to be times in our life when maybe there's a financial problem. And the devil says, get down, Larry. And Jesus says, get back up. Maybe there's a marital problem. Jesus said, the devil says, get down, Larry. Jesus says, get back up. Maybe I've had trauma in my past. And the devil's holding me down and will just will not let me up. And, we'll, and, and Jesus comes along and kicks his hand out of the way and says, Larry, get up. Rise up. Rise up, Larry. Rise up. It doesn't matter what it is. What's knocking you down? Jesus is going to pick you back up. It doesn't matter what it is. Because you see, he's resurrection in life. He's resurrection in life. What if I don't feel like it? Jesus says, come back up here anyway. Do you think Lazarus going, hey, I'm dead and I feel like getting up? No, there was no feelings there whatsoever. But Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. You're going to come forth someday. I don't know about your current situation, but if you need a resurrection, Jesus is resurrection. Just kill the bad stuff and let the good stuff come. And he, and the, by the power of the Holy Spirit, will someday give you the resurrection you need. I, I, just, I can't promise that on my own. I can only promise that in Jesus Christ. It may not look like that from, from our point of view, but it looks like that from God's point of view. Otherwise, we shortchange who God is. You see, uh, some of the things, uh, the metaphors of I am, are, are very much about his guidance and his love and his care and his identity in that way. But I am the resurrection is about his power, based in his love. It's about his power. And he, he loves you. So 
I got one more sermon to do with this guy, and then Allie can decide what, whether she wants to keep him for children's ministry or whatever, because Jan's already told me I can't have him. No, she didn't do, she didn't do that. She will, but she didn't do that. So I want to close with some scriptures. This is the promise of God. Romans 8, 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 54. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? 1 Peter 1, 3. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So here's something I didn't say, but, but you really need to hear. If you're a believer in Christ, you've already been resurrected. You went from the dead flesh to the living spirit. You've already been raised with Christ. Romans chapter 6. You've been raised with Christ. You already have a resurrection. But he's going to bring you more and more and more until the ultimate resurrection. This is God's plan because he is resurrection and he is life. What is the purpose of this message? And more than anything, the message of Jesus, the purpose of Jesus' message is to be for you to be filled with hope. By faith, you receive hope. By faith, when you hope in an all-powerful Jesus Christ who loves you so much, he will leave no stone unturned to make you sure you are with him all the time. Not even death gets to hide you. You should be filled with the hope of the Lord. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, I just ask in Jesus' name that you would bring great blessing. Help me to hope. I can preach this, Lord, but can I receive it? I hope so. I, I've been, man, it's been meditating on it for six weeks or more, and I'm just, wow. I want to have that kind of hope, too. I want to, but you tell me, it comes through belief, that these might believe. Do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this, Larry? Help me with that. Help me to take it in. Help me to live it and walk it as a testimony and as a relationship with you. Lord, I pray for the people here today. I pray for those who need a resurrection. Whether it's a resurrection to faith from fear. Lord, we got hurricanes and wars and political problems and COVID and all sorts of issues that can lead us down dark holes. But we trust in your resurrection power. And we need you to resurrect us and lift us up. Lord, lift those today who are in bondage financially or in a relationship that's just not working, whether it's a relationship in any direction, parents, children, spouses, Lord, family, work relationships. Lord, they need a resurrection, and your power is where it comes from. Do it in your timing, in your way, out of your love. Lord, help us to know you'll leave no stone unturned just for us. Please work in these lives. Please work in these hearts. Please help them, Lord. We pray for resurrection power now. 
And we ask this blessing all in the name of the I am, the resurrection, in the name of the one who is life, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Uh, Jan is here to pray with anyone who feels like uh, they may need personal prayer, and we believe in that, where two or three are gathered, or where two or three agree on something, it'll be done for them. So uh, we want to practice that. In the meantime, thank you for being here. Keep, uh, keep the Reichs, Pastor Reichs, in your prayers, and, uh, and we believe that God will give you a great resurrection, maybe even today. Lord bless you all. Thanks for being here. at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us, and have a blessed day.